Hello, welcome to the Eating for Health podcast. I'm Dr. Harriet Holm, founder of Healthy Eating Doctor, registered nutritionist and doctor. I studied medicine at Cambridge University, worked in the NHS for over a decade, have a PhD in genetics, lecture on nutrition and was commissioned to write a novel degree combining culinary skills, nutrition and health. I'm on a mission to break down nutrition myths and share science-backed nutrition to help empower you. I'll share some interviews, theories and practical tips focused around nutrition and health. Stay tuned to find out more. Today I'm focusing on the menopause, something that affects all women and indirectly men, but as yet doesn't have the recognition and knowledge that it deserves. To talk about all things menopause, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Dr. Louise Newson, menopause specialist and GP. Louise is such a busy lady, it's difficult to know quite where to start. But in summary, she's an advisor for the NHS and on the Clinical Steering Committee for NHSEI's Menopause Improvement Programme, and has also set up a not-for-profit company focused on research and education called Newson Health Research and Education. Louise has authored the Hayes Menopause Manual and also just topped the Times bestseller list with her new book, Preparing for the Menopause and Perimenopause. She's a director of Newson Health Limited, and that's newsonhealth.co.uk. She runs a menopause and wellbeing centre in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is the largest menopause clinic in the world. She's developed the Menopause Information website, which is menopausedoctor.co.uk, and the free menopause app called Balance, and that's balance-app.com. Louise is the founder and a trustee for the Menopause Charity, that's the menopausecharity.org, which supports and empowers women with evidence-based knowledge in many different ways. She's also recently launched the Confidence in the Menopause Education Programme and is involved in research with colleagues in Warwick, Oxford, Liverpool and London Tropical School of Medicine. Louise has contributed to menopause-related articles in different newspapers and magazines and been on numerous radio and TV programmes and hosts her weekly podcast for women called Newson Health. So I'm really delighted to have uh, Dr. Louise Neeson here, who's a menopause expert. And firstly, I just want to say congratulations on your book, Louise. Preparing for the perimenopause and menopause, it's just topped the Times bestsellers and, and looks to be a fantastic asset for women. So thank you for coming on and congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, very excited to be a number one Times bestseller. That's yeah, very good. Well deserved. <laughs> so although you've done such a fantastic job of raising um, awareness of the menopause and breaking down some of the taboos, can we just start by setting the scene and can you tell us exactly what the menopause and perimenopause are? Yeah, which is great questions because although the menopause affects all women, lots of us and men don't really know what it is. So it's very easy, isn't it, if you break down the word. So meno is menstrual cycle, so periods, pauses. But it's a bit weird because pause actually is stop. But to make the diagnosis officially of the menopause, it's a retrospective look back in time diagnosis. You have to officially, as a woman, be a year after your last period. So that's very unlike any other diagnosis you make in medicine where you make it on the day. Most women, it occurs because our eggs that we are born with in our ovaries run out and the associated hormones decline. So it's a natural process. Um, The average age is 51 in the UK, but for some women it can be younger because their eggs are less in quantity, so they they expire or run out um, at an earlier age. Some women have an earlier menopause because they have their menopause forced on them unnaturally, so they could have their ovaries removed. And if a woman has their ovaries removed, they don't have to wait a year. They are officially menopausal as soon as the ovaries are removed. 
Some women have their ovaries damaged by certain medications or um, certain drugs so such as chemotherapy or radiotherapy for cancer. Um, and that can be permanent or temporary depending on the type of treatment. So perimenopause, again, another little word that's added before menopause, peri just means around the time of. So with the perimenopause, it's when our periods are changing in nature or frequency, but we're experiencing menopausal symptoms. So our hormones often decline for several years, sometimes a decade, before we officially become menopausal. And you mentioned there that it's all to do with um, your egg store and that obviously you're born with a certain number of eggs. Does taking the oral contraceptive pill or if you've been on the progesterone only pill or you hadn't been having periods or you haven't been ovulating because you've been on contraceptive for a while does that have any effect on when you start the menopause probably not but we don't know because you can't compare with anyone else so you don't know it would be really lovely to have a test where we could see at what age we'll become menopausal i don't know, actually it would be lovely because i don't think i'd want to know i just want to prepare myself but um we don't know what would have happened if we hadn't taken it because we can't compare with other people because we're all individuals it's very unlikely because there are a lot of women who are on the pill sometimes i see women that been on the pill for 30 35 years they come to their late 40s and they say gosh in that week where I'm not taking the pill I feel dreadful I'm really tired a few nights where it's feeling really demotivated have migraines worse and so they those women just go straight from the contraceptive pill onto HRT which actually HRT has is a lot safer than the contraceptive pill to take so I don't think it does to be honest some people, if they've got young family members, if they've got an aunt, a mother, a sister, a cousin who's had an early menopause, they'll probably be more likely to have an earlier menopause. So there is a bit of genetic component with this. So what first attracted you to um, focusing on women with the menopause? Because you're obviously really known now as a menopause expert, but tell me some how it came about. Just by chance, really. I think I since I did a I did a pathology and immunology degree halfway between my medical training. And it just made me think a lot more about disease and why it happens rather than just taking its face value and about molecular processes that go on in our bodies and how amazing our bodies are actually. And then I was doing hospital medicine and really interested about disease, but also about disease prevention. And in general practice, I really, really enjoyed, and I still do, helping women who are perimenopausal or menopausal. But I quickly realized it's very transformational medicine because there's not many things in medicine that people will come back within three months and thank you for transforming their lives. So helping them keep their job, their partner, helping them feel better in such an amazing, miraculous way. But also, it's not just a thank you. It's actually, I know that I'm improving their future health. And it's very powerful knowing that women taking HRT have a lower risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, dementia, um, which is huge, actually. I can't think of any other medicine that does that. So I've always been interested, and I've always been very interested in evidence-based medicine. I've really tried as much as I can with my knowledge and capability to give all patients individualized advice that's evidence-based. But with the menopause, it's been lacking for so much. And I've been trying not to stick my head up and say, look, what's going on? But the more patients I see the more I've realised how scandalous it is, what's going on. So then it's sort of, I did some more training, became an advanced menopause specialist and 
just the frustration really has made me more vocal <laughs> and more gobby, but actually really wanted to make a difference. So I've sort of been catapulted into menopause without realizing, not thinking about it. And I'm, you know, I'm not a gynecologist. I'm not really that interested in, when I say women's health, but sort of other gynecological conditions, but I don't see the menopause as a gynecological condition at all, actually. No, I think it's sort of uh, so much more holistic than that, isn't it? I think sort of a gynecologist probably sees it with a much narrower lens. And just to sort of summarise, I guess, from my point of view, as a as a woman who's just entered their 40s and hasn't yet reached the menopause, it does feel uh, like, you know, sort of looming at some point. But I think it's about finding that women just aren't having access to the right education, the right advice, the right support. I, I, I don't want to sort of put words in your mouth, but is that are those your main frustrations, really? Yeah, I think it's a two-pronged approach, really. I think for years, women haven't been almost allowed to talk about it. They haven't known where to go for information. It's been a sort of suck it and see, just get on with it. A lot of people think we can go through the menopause so we can come out the other side. So let's just cope with a few symptoms. Let's carry on and see what happens. So there's been misinformation. And then any information women have received has often been wrong. It's been based on misinterpretation of the evidence. It's been it's been um, often um, not evidence-based. So people have been very confused. So And then I think it's it's been difficult to know where to get information, how to get information, so we've just been ignored a bit and it's just been women can just cope really and and I think I think people haven't realized also that there are health risks associated with the low hormones they've thought about it as something that causes symptoms and yes the menopause can cause symptoms but it might not for some women but every woman who's menopausal will have low hormones and low hormones is associated with risk of disease so if we Think about it in the same way as obesity, for example. Obesity, you could or couldn't argue, is a disease. But it's not really a disease, but it's considered by some as a disease because it's associated with risk of proper diseases like heart disease and diabetes and so forth. And the menopause, I think, should be seen in exactly the same way. And it's actually, like obesity, it's a preventative illness. If women are allowed to have their own hormones back, we know we reduce the risk of all these diseases. Do you think some of that inertia with that is then that people think it's a natural process? Why are you, why are you, you know, putting stuff that you don't need? As you say, it's just sort of almost sort of seen as a vanity thing that, oh, you're not, you just need to sort of man up or woman up, you know, and just cope with the flushes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I was at a, a conference recently and it really shocked me actually because some really, I thought, very learned people had said that women take HRT for vanity reasons. And it really shook me up, actually, because I thought, yes, actually, it does help skin, it does help hair, it helps nails. And a lot of people actually lose weight when they're on HRT. But why on earth would you take something just to look good? It just doesn't make sense. So, But I think that's the portrayal that it's been because people have been so scared of HRT. And they've always seen that it's like a last resort treatment. They've seen that you're failing if you take HRT or you can't cope because it is a natural process but then I would argue that firstly one in a hundred women under the age of 40 have an early menopause that's not natural they need to have their hormones until at least the age of 51 but then if you look over the age of 51 is it natural or not well let's look back and a lot of women used to die quite early they used to die quite just a couple of years after their 
menopause in the Victorian times, the average age of the menopause was a bit older. It was in the more mid-50s. Average age of death was 57. So you didn't really have 70, 80, 90-year-olds cooped up in nursing homes with dementia and heart disease and osteoporosis. It wasn't really a thing. But also, where in medicine do we stop then? Is that, So should I say that if I had a 65-year-old male hypertensive in front of me, who's got some atheroma, which is a natural process because he's older and he hasn't got symptoms, do I not give him a blood pressure-lowering treatment to reduce his risk of a heart attack? Because it, it's a natural... I think I'd be probably struck off if I ignored it. I, no, I, I agree. I have the same sentiments in that I think, you know, sort of... To say it in a rather sort of coarse manner that there are lots of things that are natural in life. Cancer is natural, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't treat it. Some women used to die or some women still do in childbirth, but that doesn't mean we don't try to prevent it and minimise those risks. And I think it's about that really probably evolution hasn't caught up with the, mm. the pace of change and that, you know, perhaps if if we haven't killed the planet off through climate change, you know, in, in a thousand years, we might see that women are having a later menopause and, you know, because evolutionary it might be better. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a sort of anthropologist, but I just think that it's probably that, Evolution hasn't kept pace. Yes, you're absolutely right. I think it's... um, Then the other thing is is that people will say, well, I'm going to manage my menopause naturally. So then that's a whole narrative is what does natural mean? Does it taking a food supplement or taking um, some marketed product for menopause that you buy over the counter, is that natural? Because it's plant-based, is that natural? There's lots of poisonous plants I would never have in my body. So that's really difficult. And actually, the HRT I prescribe is derived from the yam plant anyway. So it's not from your horse's urine. It's not, of course, it's synthetic. It's made in the laboratory, but the derivative is very pure. So then it's very difficult, but there's such big marketing about natural, 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 have this supplement, it will help your hot flushes, but it won't improve their future health. And that's what really worries me about all this. So there are lots of parallels there, I think, between people thinking that vegan, you know, if you're vegan, it's healthier. And in the same way that sort of they're talking about supplements, that I think that if you're, if you, you can eat a processed vegan, you could have, you know, processed vegetarian, vegan sausage and chips every day is not going to be as healthy as having a whole food diet that contains the occasional meat. So it's about what's natural and what's healthy. I think there's some sort of confusion over the perception there. But it's really interesting. So, And I, I also saw that you'd sort of done some a survey and found that um, 10% of women leave their job because of the menopause. 90% of women experience menopausal symptoms, but only 12% are on HRT. Mm. So what do you think is the reason behind that then? Do you think it's sort of the headlines about breast cancer? Do you think it's that people are sort of worried that they're, they're seen as weak then if they, they... Or do you think that narrative's changing? I think it's changed, actually. When I first opened my clinic a few years ago, I would see people that would come to see me and they'd say, I want something natural for the menopause. I really don't want HRT because I've heard it's going to cause breast cancer. So I would spend my whole consultation telling them there's no evidence that HRT causes breast cancer. And there is evidence that it reduces risk of disease or health symptoms and actually reduce risk of dying from breast cancer, which is really important to know as well. So at the end of the consultation, they would take their HRT. Three months later, they'd start to feel a lot better. Um, whereas now people come and they say, I've read 
about how safe HRT is. I've read about the menopause. I've actually listened to your podcast, watched some videos, and I'd really like to try the gel. Um, and I like the progesterone because you know, and they, they're really educated and it's fantastic. So I think people are waking up to the fact that HRT is safer, which is great. But I think one of the big blocks still is the, the lack of really good quality education available to all healthcare professionals. And so they're scared. And so if you're scared, you're not, it's very hard actually to, to change. So we need to look at what the women are wanting, but also what they're getting from their healthcare provider as well. Absolutely. And I think if you um, if you are a scared healthcare provider because you don't have the access to information, it's much easier to not prescribe and to do no harm by not prescribing yes. or feel like you're not doing any harm Absolutely. by prescribing. Totally. When actually, you, you know, you're potentially increasing that woman's risk of long term health issues. So obviously for you, the health issues are really the sort of crux of HRT and why, why you'd recommend it. So those health issues are never going to go away. How long would you expect then a woman to take HRT? Is it, is it for life? Yeah, of course. And, and this is really, and, and I, I say that with so much arrogance, I suppose, but if you think about it in a logical way, because I think sometimes logic gets, gets forgotten in medicine. We're just sucked up with what we've been told. If you've got an underactive thyroid gland, would I say to you, well, Harry, you've got an underactive thyroid gland. You've, the last five years, you've been feeling really tired. You've put on weight. It's a real struggle for you. And you've wanted something natural for your hypothyroidism. But I've got the same hormone that you're missing. Would you like it? I think you would be a bit mad to say no. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say to you, well, Harry, you can have this for 10 years. And then you have to come off it you would probably get really cross with me if I was your doctor. So let's think about, it's, you know, let's think about estrogen. It's exactly the same. Um, so why is there all this noise about we have to come off at a certain time? And I, I, I sort of tell you why just to sort of clear it up, really. The study that everyone talks about that's worried about is the WHI study, the Women's Health Initiative study, which came out in 2002. It, it should never really be done for lots of reasons, but it was giving women... The wrong type of HRT, there's different types of HRT. Then in the 90s, there was the estrogen that was derived from animals, uh, horses' urine. But it was a tablet estrogen with a synthetic progesterone. And they gave it to women who, all ages, but a lot of women were starting it in their 60s. And a lot of those women had established heart disease before, so they'd had heart attacks already. We know that tablet estrogen can... uh, increased risk of clot we know the synthetic progestogens can increase risk of clot and heart disease so everyone got very worried when some of these women had an increased heart um, attacks and disease in the hrt group so they said oh older people shouldn't take hrt now it's like comparing apples with pears hrt we prescribe is through the skin the estrogen so there's no risk of clot the natural progesterone has no risk of clot and no risk of heart disease so why would we stop it when it's safe? And the NICE guidance are very clear that we can continue HRT after an annual review if the benefits outweigh the risks. And the vast majority of women, the benefits do. Because even if, I mean, I clearly take H- oh, not clearly, but I take HRT, I could stop it now and have no symptoms. They could have all just stopped in my body. But as soon as I stop taking it, then I'm going to have this accelerated bone turnover. I'm going to have this pro-inflammatory state in my body and increase my risk of disease. So I personally take it because I really want to reduce my risk of diseases. 
but that's my choice. And then the other thing in medicine, which I think is forgotten as well, is that we have to listen to patients. We have to think about shared decision-making. We have to ask what they want. So if you were hypothyroid, and if you said to me, well, Dr. Newsom, I've really thought about it, and I'm going to carry on being really tired and overweight and miserable without my thyroxine, and you understand the consequences of not having thyroxine, that's fine. That's up to you, and I would respect you for that, as long as you've got the knowledge. And we can't forget this shared decision-making when it comes to menopause and HRT. No, I agree. And I think it's about that um, empowering people to have the knowledge that they can make those informed decisions because everything in, in, in life, medicine, nutrition, everything, there's always a risk and benefit with everything. So um, can you just explain to everybody what does the word body identical HRT mean then? How does that differ? Yeah, so, so body identical HRT just means that the hormones, the estrogen, progesterone and testosterone are the same structure, the same molecular structure as the hormones we produce ourselves. So a lot of the other synthetic um, HRT, like in this older study, but also, interestingly, the hormones that are in the contraceptive pill are all synthetic. So they've just been chemically modified. So they're still called estrogens, but they're just slightly different. So they stimulate the receptors in a slightly different way. They're not the pure um, hormone, if you like. Um, and um, because of that, they're safer because they're just replicating our missing hormones. And what's really nice now is they come in different doses. So there's a, an estrogen gel and women can change the amount. So if they start HRT when they're perimenopausal, they're still producing some hormones, but not as much as they were when they were younger. So often the ideal scenario would be to start taking HRT when you're perimenopausal, small dose, gradually increase as your natural hormones decline, and then you just increase to, to match the deficit. And everyone's different, so the way they metabolize hormones is different, the way they absorb them is different, so you can just individualize the dose according to each woman. And can you tell us a bit more about the difference between dose hormones and so oestrogen you've mentioned, and then there's progesterone and testosterone? Yeah, so oestrogen is the one that's been most heavily researched everyone thinks that it's just estrogen in women that's important and it is important because we have estradiol receptors all over our bodies and estrogen um, or lack of estrogen can cause symptoms such as the vasomotor symptoms the night sweats the hot flushes that many of us associate menopause with but also we've got receptors in our brains our bones our eyes our cardiovascular system our bladders everywhere we think um, and so without estrogen lots of symptoms affecting our brain, memory, cognition, stamina, muscle joint pains can occur, urinary symptoms can occur, palpitations, depending on, you know, whereabouts in the body. So estrogen is like the building block, if you like. And then progesterone is another hormone, but actually we only really need it um, to protect the lining of our womb. So if a woman's still got their womb, then they should have um, progesterone. If they haven't, if they've had a hysterectomy, they often don't need progesterone. Some women like it because it can help them feel calm, it can help them sleep a little bit, the natural body identical. And then the other hormone is testosterone. And so women produce testosterone, the same testosterone that men produce, but lower doses. And what's very interesting is that we produce, before our menopause, about three times more testosterone than estrogen testosterone affects everywhere in our body and a lot of women find that their mood concentration energy stamina their sleep their motivation really improves with testosterone as well 
And I think it's really interesting as well, just to that you highlighted there about how important estrogen is, because I think everyone sort of thinks is it sort of you know, the female female hormone and its importance in, in sexual reproduction. But actually, so from I was really astonished to find that estrogen receptors are even found on invertebrates, you know, and ancestral estrogen receptors and they were sort of long before sexual reproduction that is obviously involved in it has such a, a role in metabolism and energy metabolism aside from it it's really important yeah i mean part of when i was doing my degree in the 90s we we learned a lot about macrophages and they are really important actually in our body because they mop up as you know gobble infections really protective for us but if they're switched on in the wrong way they can become very pro-inflammatory and when they're pro-inflammatory as in causing inflammation it can lead to diseases such as heart disease diabetes osteoporosis probably clinical depression and dementia the diseases that i've already said increase with low estrogen we know that when estradiol levels are low macrophages become very pro-inflammatory when estradiol switches on the macrophages and the other immune cells it's an immune modulator that's why women are protected uh, from covid for example compared to men who have estrogen um, or the women who have estrogen so it's a really good it affects our immune function and it affects all our cells at a very very molecular level so it's a really really important hormone and it also happens to be good in, in um, reproduction. But it was interesting because even if you think of other hormones like cortisol, we know if you've got too much cortisol, it might switch off your adrenal access, make you infertile. So, it, you know, all these hormones are really powerful, aren't they? And they all interconnect, actually. They are, yeah, absolutely. I think the more the more research uh, is done, the more we learn about, you know, quite how finely tuned our body is. It's quite incredible, really. Mm. So... Thanks so much for, for, for talking about that. So what do you find when you're in a clinic that women are struggling with the most then? It really varies, but it's usually the psychological impact of the menopause. The vasomotor symptoms can be awful. I've seen lots of women who can't um, you know, dry their hair because they're so sweaty or they can't exercise or they take three or four changes of clothes to work. But they can cope with those. It's the uh, inability to function, actually. It's the brain fog, the memory problems, the um, the confusion, the low mood, often crippling anxiety, um, really crippling often. And, um, and then a lot of people find muscle and joint pains can be really awful. A lot of people say they feel like old women. They can't walk down the stairs, especially in the morning. Migraines can be really affect women a lot palpitations and even something like vaginal dryness which people don't like to talk about they don't like to mention their vagina but it affects around 80 percent of women yet only about eight percent of women receive treatment i see a lot of women who can't sit down because it's so uncomfortable i saw a 34 year old recently with a early menopause who said it's like having a blowtorch between her legs she'd stopped working as a teacher and was contemplating suicide because she couldn't cope with this pain Gosh, that's tragic. And so, but we also, every week here, we see women who have really contemplated ending their lives because they can't keep going with these symptoms. And this low mood, this really intrusive, very negative thoughts, I had no idea as a doctor how they're associated with the hormones. And the only reason I know they're associated is often these women have been given 
three, four, five, six different antidepressants. Many women I've seen have been in psychiatric hospitals, actually. Some of them in sections, some of them had ECT. And I give them HRT because they've got other symptoms. But then within weeks often, they, they feel better. And when I review them, they say, I, I, I don't think I've ever had manic depression. I've never had clinical depression. And, and also the history tells you. I saw a lady three weeks ago in my clinic who'd been sectioned a few weeks after having her ovaries removed. Um, she had a hysterectomy for fibroids. They removed her ovaries because she was mid-40s and said, you don't need your ovaries anymore. And she phoned her husband from the recovery room and said, something's happened to my body. I'm feeling really agitated, really sad. I'm scared. And she became sectioned because she tried to kill herself and they still didn't give her any hormones. Gosh, that's quite incredible, really. So, but I hear stories like this all the time. I used to write them down in a notebook, but it's too sad, actually, to read the notebook. And so there's so many. It's awful, actually. It's really awful. And this is in 2021, you know? We're not in the Victorian age. No, it's actually quite shocking, to be honest. And um, just for any non-medical people out there listening, so ECT is electroconvulsive therapy, which is quite a, I don't know really how to describe it other than probably in a sort of politically way to sort of say it's intense. So it's an electric shock for your brain, which, you know, I think as a medical student, when I saw it, it was a pretty intense treatment. Yes, and it's very, it's actually used last resort, really, for people with very resistant depression. But Rebecca Lewis, who's a clinical director here with me, used to be an anaesthetist, and she used to anaesthetise these people. And when we've talked about it, she's got a particular interest in um, depression and uh, menopause. Mm. She said, looking back, it was all women, all middle-aged women who would be doing it to. Um, And we're now actually doing some research with the Maudsley Hospital, looking at how to diagnose, because psychiatrists don't know how to manage. They don't know how to diagnose perimenopause or menopause, and and no one's given them any training about HRT either. So it's a real, real concern of mine, because the peak age of the menopause, the average age of the menopause is 51. The peak in age of suicide is early 50s it's no and, and to there be on the last resort uh, treatment for depression and for it to be resistant and not working really has to suggest that the treatments just aren't working we don't understand it and that as you say it's more hormone related which is is really quite shocking I guess the the one good thing to say is that mm. it's it's reversible, reversible I presume like once you've started back on those hormones that people have seen a large uplift in mood yeah, it often is actually, and it's it's really interesting actually because so little research has been done. I, I we don't know, but I do know a lot from speaking to thousands of women and some women who've had symptoms for many many years. I sort of spend a lot of time saying that it might take a long time. You know, it's not when you're pregnant; you have nine months of your body changing. You're not going to feel better and have a be slim a, a day after having a baby. But some women, even within three months, will say to me, "Within days, I felt better." And, and it's not a placebo. We know placebo works, but they, they tell me that their sleep improves, that they've started singing in the shower, that they haven't done for ages. Now, they would expect the vasomotor symptoms to improve, but there's little subtle things that you can't explain by placebo. And there are other women who have had symptoms for a very short period of time, come and see me within three months ago, oh, I'm a bit better, not much, maybe. And then after six months, they'll go, wow, this is incredible. So it's a way that our bodies respond. Some, there's a bit of studies or a bit of work that show that with long time without hormones, you can get some methylation of the receptors. So the estrogen doesn't work quite as well. But we started someone recently in the clinic who's 91 who wanted HRT. 
because she wanted to see what it's like because she was feeling so awful. And then she phoned out three months later and said, oh, wow. can I have some testosterone now? This is wow. great. It's the best. I'm living my best life. And so you, you just don't know. But I think the thing is about it is it's very safe. You know, I you couldn't be flippant about prescribing antidepressants or painkillers or other drugs that have potential side effects and risks. But actually, your own hormones, how dangerous can they be when women who are pregnant have estrogen levels far no, and, and sort of coming back to that um hippocratic oath of do no harm then you just can't help but think that you know it, it is harmful to be prescribing antidepressants in in women where you know it, it's not depression it, it's hormone related and it, it really does need to change isn't it so we can so we can help these women so what do you think then uh, about sort of workplace changes? Do you think uh, more allowances need to be made in the in the workplace? Or do you think that if we just get everyone onto HRT, that workplace allowances wouldn't be needed? Yeah, you've got it right. It, I think it's it's important that the narratives there, people are starting to talk about the menopause, which is great. And if they're talking about it in the menopause, sorry, if they're talking about it in the workplace, that's fantastic too. But I think there's a lot of noise, a lot of, work talking about policies and I've said it to quite a few people actually you don't have a broken arm policy if I came to work with a broken arm I'm hoping one of the managers here would say Louise that is awful go to the A&E sort it out take a bit of time off and then come back and then might carry on so if as a menopausal woman which I was really struggling actually to keep my job as a GP because of this, the psychological symptoms and my memory had gone. If someone had said to me, Louise, you're really struggling, actually. I just, you're not as sparky as you normally are. You're a bit behind with some of your, you know, dictation. Do you think could be anything? What about your hormones? I'd wish, because the penny would have dropped and I would have gone and got HRT probably five years before I did. But actually what I didn't want them to do, I was working one day a week as a GP because I was doing other work. If they'd said to me, we've got this policy, we can reduce your hours and you can become more flexible, I'd go, do you know what? I can't reduce more than one day, so I'm going to have to give it up. If I give up my job, how am I going to ever pay off my mortgage? And so I don't think, I think it's good to be acknowledged, but I don't want it to be taken too far. That we, And then it's, it's actually then accepting that women have to be having menopausal symptoms mm. because they're allowed time off. And we did some a, a research through my not-for-profit of um, 3,800 women and we found that 21% didn't go for a promotion that they would have otherwise considered because of their menopause. And 19% reduced their hours and 12% had resigned. That's a lot of women. And if we think about the NHS, 40% of NHS employees are menopausal women. So we're losing, you know, people who have trained, people don't want to be taking time off work to stay at the ceiling at home, having a horrible life. They really don't. So it's a real problem. And also, if you think of the things like the gender pay gap and how we need more women on boards, you know, they, these are women in the prime of their life who've yeah. got all that experience. They should yeah. be staying and sitting on boards and they should be doing, you should be managing things. So I think part of the problem as well is that a lot of the symptoms are quite nebulous, aren't they? In that, okay, it's quite easy to recognise hot flushes, but if you're just feeling a bit tired or your memory, you start to question yourself, you wouldn't, it's not quite the same as a broken arm, which is, you know, hanging off or you, you've got a cut or... Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really important. And that's why we've developed this free app balance that people can download and actually make the diagnosis often themselves because there's not a blood test, there's not a urine test, a saliva test to diagnose it. 
it, it is actually based on symptoms. And some of the symptoms can be because you, you, do, you know, your child's kept you up all night or your, your husband's stressing you out or your work isn't the right job for you. And so what we're really encouraging people to do is to monitor their symptoms every three months, to actually have a reflection every three months and think, I've got these symptoms. Is there a reason for them? No, nothing else has changed in my, in my life. If you're still having periods, oh, my periods might have changed a bit. Then think about your hormones and actually try and exclude that first. And then through the Balance app, you can download a health report, which you can take to your doctor or healthcare professional and say, actually, I think I'm menopausal or perimenopausal. I've read about the symptoms, I've read about the treatments, and I've decided I'd like to try HRT. And then you people women can try it for three to six months. They feel better. They've made the diagnosis then themselves. No, I've, I've, I've got the app. So it's a balance app. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. And it looks a really fantastic interactive repository for information as well. So it's not just about those symptoms. There's information there as women. Um, have you have you had much feedback from women about it? Yeah, we've had some great feedback, actually. We've got over 300,000 users from more than 150 mm. countries. And I'm gloating here, but we haven't paid a penny on advertising. So I'm really pleased. But we've just done a bit of analysis of it um, and shown that the majority of people that use it feel more confident in getting treatment, including HRT. And actually, 61% said that their symptoms related to anxiety and low mood had improved. And I think that's because they're feeling in control, actually, because menopause makes you feel completely out of control for a lot of women so having tools to equip you to empower you is really important and I'm I'm, I'm so happy because that's what I wanted the balance no, to I think, do. No I think it's really fantastic you're really managing to empower people to get the help that they need so you're a very busy lady I know that you've also set up the menopause charity as well and you're not for profit and so I just sort of say to people head over to those sites and have a look if you can help fund research into menopause and help support it and get more information I think it's such a great unmet need that you're you're really helping to raise the profile of well I hope so I feel like I'm just the tip of the iceberg there's so much that needs to be done but I think there's people are listening now I'm also working as an NHS advisor for the National Menopause Programme and they're realising actually if we can help perimenopause and the menopausal women, it will reduce costs to the NHS, it will improve productivity within the NHS, but also outside. Um, but it's a global problem. So it's a huge amount of work that needs to be done. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. And I guess the sort of long term cost of osteoporosis and health disease and everything, if you can prevent it, then that's got to be great for the whole of society, women as well. Included. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's been great. I really hope you enjoyed listening and I'd love if you'd give me a five-star review and subscribe so that other people can find me too. I'm also at Healthy Eating Doctor on Instagram and I have lots more nutrition education information on both my video courses and on my website, healthyeatingdoctor.com.